Hey there, podcast listener. I just wanted you to know that the John D. Sperry podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. With your Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime and anywhere. Download the free app onto smartphones, both Apple and Android. Listen across devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series if you'd like. I've been using Audible for about a decade now, and I couldn't be more satisfied. I love Audible. I've listened to audiobooks, dramas, podcasts. To get started with a one-month free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That gets you one month free, which includes a free book credit, two free Audible originals, and access to their massive library of resources. One more time, audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast to get started with Audible with that free month. Well, everybody, this is it. This is the final episode of this season of the John Desperry Podcast. I want to thank everybody who listened for listening to my tale of Lamp and for hearing everything I had to say about it as, as much as it was me just babbling on. Here you are, the final four chapters of Lamp. Please join me afterward for a really short commentary. Enjoy. Chapter 30 I want to know the second you've extracted the lamp, the sultana barked at three men in white lab coats as she stormed out of the hyperclean environment of the robotics lab. Yes, ma'am, the lead scientist replied, even after his new sovereign had already left the room through the sigh of the pneumatic doors. Dr. Poinder was a very plain-looking man with slightly gaunt cheekbones and a gray mustache that, despite his young age of only 39, gave him the appearance of a much older man. As a professional in applied robotics and computer programming, Poinder was a natural skeptic about the lamp. The existence of something so impossible was outrageous, but his place in the new regime, just as the old, was not to have opinions and personal judgments. Get me the diagnostic reader and a size 4 digital probe, Poinder said, causing his two lab cronies to spring into action. The doctor, who was prone to mumbling to himself, stood over his subject. She was by far the most advanced machine he had ever seen, though the skin regeneration process used on her was not foreign to him. He had helped with its first trial implementations, and was lead assistant to its creator and knew the man well. Unfortunately, the program was shut down and its creator fired because the process was far too time-intensive. It was like growing actual skin. While the final product was easily mistaken for organic, it wasn't worth the process just to make citizens feel better about their robots. It was definitely the work of Dr. Tahirin S. Shahera, 
It had all of the doctor's trademarks, not only the skin, but the normal, everyday appearance of her face, hair, and hands. To an untrained observer, she could easily have been mistaken for a human lying there on Pointer's workbench. We're going to need to start with a basic diagnostic, Pointer said, then began his unceremonious mumbling. Dr. Shahira was a stickler for perfect detail. Old fool got him fired. Could have been great. Pointer pitied Shahira. The man was a genius, but the last Pointer had heard, the old scientist had been contracting meccas to locals before he died in some sort of accident on the Bag City thoroughfare. Pointer was suddenly sad with the pity he should have felt years prior upon first hearing of his old mentor's death. Pointer opened up the skin under the mecca's wrist and retrieved her input cable. His assistant attached the digital probe and all three men set at separate monitors as the process initiated. Entry port Alpha is active, device is dormant, Pointer said, and his assistants acknowledged. I'm going to run a level 3 scan of her web and her core. I want to see if she's stable enough to probe deeper. The two men on either side of the doctor nodded. A map of the Mecca's internal pathways suddenly appeared on the main viewing monitor. All three men began tracing lines on their separate screens. Pathways connect, said the man to Pointer's right. Acquired. Pointer responded. Pathway connect, called the other man. Acquired, said Pointer. Over and over, the two assistants located possible pathway connections for information storage and data transfer. It was standard procedure to run such a diagnostic. The process usually lasted about ten minutes, one man calling out a connection, Dr. Pointer verifying and isolating it. The sound of the voices was almost rhythmic, like a machine's moving parts ticking along its process and it was all going smoothly until the assistant on Pointer's left stopped. The rhythm changed, causing both Pointer and the other assistant to halt and look at him. "'What's the matter?' Pointer asked. The assistant's hand was frozen on a line in the map, his eyes narrowed like little beads as he focused on the screen. "'It looks like a broken pathway. This mecha might be irreparably damaged,' he said, and Pointer immediately got up. "'But it looks active!' the other assistant said in a perplexed tone. That's not possible. The neural web can't operate with a broken, active pathway. It would short out the whole system, the assistant to the right said. That's not true, Pointer replied. There are ways to do it, but only if you want to, he started to say as he examined the pathway. Then his eyes shot wide. Cancel the scan, now, Pointer practically yelled as he yanked the cable out of the mecha's wrist. He reached around her neck in a frantic effort to deactivate her, but the mecha's initializer had been broken off. It was too late. Suddenly, the mecha's eyes shot open, and she quickly sat up on the examination bench. Somehow, her usual startup sequence had been bypassed, and she was fully awake in an instant. Pointer reached around for a neutralizer on the station next to him, but his action was futile. The mecha grabbed his wrist and firmly twisted it, sending him to his knees in a howl of pain. The mecha then hopped off the table and released him. Pointer grabbed at his wrist and massaged it as the mecha headed for the door. Call security, he yelled to his assistants, who were frozen in shock as the events unfolded. Both men turned to their separate comm panels. Security, to the robotics lab, now, the man on the right said while the mecha walked out of the room. Pointer got up to follow it out the door, but in the small span of time that it took him to get to his feet, cross to the doorway, and step into the hall... It had already passed the first security checkpoint, having immobilized the guards. It was heading outside.
The rug shot low over the desert at a dangerously high velocity. Lydon felt it was his best option for staying undetected. In the seat next to him lay his data mod. The remote interface he used to activate Zade was still open. He prayed she had succeeded in getting out of wherever she was. His commands to her were simple. Get outside and evade capture. She was smart. She could do the rest. Her identity was represented as nothing more than a green dot on the screen of his data mod that showed she was still in the east wing of the palace. She wasn't moving. Ladin's heart beat heavily. He decelerated the glider as Bag City approached quickly. He had to get to the palace. In hover mode, he rose above the skyline of the city, barely high enough to see over the rooftops of the smaller buildings and still lower than anything over five stories. As he hovered, he pulled the data mod into his hands, the green dot still motionless in what appeared to be a hallway that led toward an outer wall. Come on, Zade, you have to get out of there, he whispered. She could have been immobilized. If that were the case, he will have failed. He'd never actually considered what he would do if he failed. But there she was, not moving, immobilized in a hallway in the middle of the palace. Lydon stared as the green dot pulsed once, then twice. He shook his head in disappointment. Three, four, five pulses. He cursed. His hope was running out like the last little bit of juice in a power cell. Then the dot moved. It was almost undetectable at first. Lydon even doubted he had seen it. But then he was certain. The dot moved quickly and geometrically in right angles as she navigated the hallways. What was she looking for? Floating the glider cautiously over the buildings, Ladin wended his way toward the center of the city. Once past the industrial parks and slums of the districts just around the palace, he had a clear lane to his target. He halted the glider in midair and waited. He needed to get his bearings. He knew Zade was in the east wing of the palace and heading north toward an outer wall. He was facing north. He was on the wrong side of the palace. Zade's green dot traveled directly toward an outer wall, probably a window. Ladin slammed the propulsion lever and shot out into the open. He cringed to think just how many security checkpoints had either picked him up on scanners or even seen him with their own eyes. But it didn't matter. The rescue operation was reaching its climax. He was committed. It was rescue or bust. As he cleared the top of the palace at well over 100 kilometers per hour, Ladin pulled back on the forward manual controls and jerked the glider into a tailspin that turned him about face in one gut-tugging second, facing him south. He looked at his data mod. The green dot had stopped moving just before the outer wall. Come on, Zade, what are you waiting for? Ladin wrung the steering grips. Seconds passed, but the dot didn't move. She seemed perfectly still. Something was wrong. Ladin dove the glider down to the roof of the east wing. He scanned quickly for armed guards. There was no one. He turned the glider in a tight circle and swung his head around looking for any kind of landing pad. There were too many peaks to the roof. It was useless. Then he heard the crash of breaking glass. It was at the back of the palace, the north side, where he had just been facing. He shot the glider forward over the edge of the palace roof just in time to see a female figure land on the ground from a two-story jump in a crouched position. After barely a second of wait time, she started running. Ladin curiously looked at the wall of the building, only to see a gaping hole where a window had been. Three armed CPOs were leaning out of it, watching Zade run. One was on a communicator, no doubt calling in her position, while the other two suddenly looked at Ladin, one of them pointing frantically. The sightseeing sidetrack was over. Ladin swooped the glider down toward the ground right behind his mecha. Zade! he yelled. 
She stopped and turned to face him, her eyes wide. Whatever momentum she had been carrying forward, she redirected, sprinting toward the rug and leaping onto the nose. You have a dozen plasma rifles aimed right at you, she said, almost casually. Yeah, I know, Ladin replied as Zade sank into the passenger seat. Hang on, he said. The glider burst forward over the streets that made up the center rotunda of Bag City. He was headed toward the gut. In a few seconds, they would be safely concealed among the narrow streets and short buildings and, against all odds, free. Zade turned around and looked behind them. Lydon suddenly felt his head being pushed down toward his knees. The lightning bolt sound of a plasma blast shot over his head so close he was fairly certain he should be dead. The pressure that forced his head out of the way released, and he looked up again. They were almost to the low-rise set of buildings that made up the edge of the gut. The sounds of sparse traffic zipped below them on the surface streets. That was close, Lydon said as another blue bolt shot past the glider on their left. We're almost there, just hang on, he said as he focused on the narrow crack between two buildings. A sudden loud concussion broke through the air and Latin felt his stomach lurch as the rug spun wildly to the right. He braced himself as the vehicle dropped rapidly, the control system dead. Just as the glider struck the ground, Latin felt two hands push him hard, throwing him free of the rug. The world became a blur of color as he spun in the air, finally colliding with a piece of hard ground. A deafening cracking sound monopolized his eardrums and a lightning bolt of pain exploded from his left shoulder throughout his entire upper body. Ladin screamed, at least he thought he screamed, though the sound never seemed to reach his ears. Three more hard collisions rocked his world, each wreaking hell and torture on his body. When he finally came to rest, every part of him throbbed and the world still spun. Vomit flew from his mouth, and every part of him, from his stomach to his sternum to his head, ached. It was an exorcism by fire. He didn't fight it, he welcomed it like a cleansing. When he had finished, he rolled to his back trying to regain his breath and bearings. The world was slowing down and out of his peripheral vision he saw CPOs racing on foot toward him. Zare? He groaned and rolled his head gingerly to the other side. Not far off, in a smoldering pillar of smoke, he saw what was left of the rug, a mangled heap of wreckage, the last place he saw Zade sitting. Then closed his eyes in defeat... A tear sprang free. Zade was gone. After all he had done, it didn't matter. She was gone in a burst of fire and smoke. Footsteps thundered up next to Ladin, the high-pitched hum of charged plasma rifles ringing all around him. Get up, a voice commanded. Get up now. Ladin slowly shook his head. I can't, he replied with a completely inadvertent smile despite the emotional anguish that filled him. I said, get up, the voice barked again. Ladin started to laugh. He tried to control it, but the fact that what had looked so hopeful had culminated in such a moment of disabled defeat was so unbelievable that all he could really do was laugh. I'm serious, he chuckled and winced. I can't move. The humorous convulsions were painful, but he couldn't help it. Get up, the CPO leader ordered. Ladin felt two hands under his arms pull him to his feet. His body exploded in agonizing fire stemming from his damaged shoulder. It was difficult not to scream, so he didn't try to fight it. He screamed until he finally came to rest on his feet. As the sharpness of the pain died, he found that the standing position made it easier to assess the damage to his body. Little by little, one joint, one muscle, one bone at a time, he flexed and moved undetectably. It seemed that the majority of the pain was focused on his left shoulder, 
In fact, it was no surprise to him that he couldn't move it at all without the internal sensation of burning. It didn't feel broken. He knew what a broken bone felt like. It must be dislocated. Strap him, the leader ordered, and once again the CPO pulled on Ladin's arms, bringing them around his back. His left shoulder burned again, causing him to scream and involuntarily fall to his knees. Just shoot me, Ladin said, his laughter giving way to tears. She won. Tell her she's won. The lamp is gone now. Please just shoot me. There was no response from any of the CPOs, and without looking at them, Ladin got the distinct impression that they weren't paying any attention to him anymore. In fact, the collective sound of the whole group readying their weapons made him certain of it. Hold your fire! The leader grunted. Ladin looked up to see all of the officers pointing their rifles north toward the wreckage of the rug. He wanted to turn around and see what had drawn their focus, but the pain was too intense. He couldn't quite manage it. Stop right there! The leader called, and Ladin slowly and carefully turned his neck as far as he could without serious pain. The pillar of smoke that was the remnant of the rug came into view. Walking out from the midst of it was the shape of a person holding a ragged and torn piece of metal plating. Ladin couldn't believe his eyes. She hadn't been destroyed in the crash. Zadeh had survived. She was covered black by smoke, her clothes were torn, and her leg was seeping fluid and lubricant that mixed into a dark liquid that looked so much like blood that Ladin cringed. Not another step, the leader called out again, and all of the CPO suddenly became more agitated as they choked up on their weapons, all but the one whose rifle was trained on Ladin. Mark, the leader barked, in order for all of his men to aim their weapons. It was obvious that she was coming to help Ladin, but he needed to do something to help her. They would completely destroy her with their plasma rifles if she made them. Ladin looked at the guard in front of him. The man's focus was not on him in spite of the position of his rifle. Mark 1, the leader said, who was then followed by the rest of the group as they called out their firing order. 2, 3, 4. A shot suddenly burst out of the leader's rifle. Ladin spun around, ignoring his pain to see Zare standing, all her weight on her back foot, holding the sheet of metal in front of her, a ten-centimeter hole adorning the top left corner of it. I said stop, the leader yelled. Ladin turned back to his guard and did the only thing he could think of. With his good right hand, he reached up and grabbed the barrel of the plasma rifle that was pointed at him. The guard jolted forward and the weapon pulled free of his grasp, though he was able to hang on to the strap that was draped over his shoulder. Despite his utter shock, the guard pulled back on the strap and Ladin felt his grip weaken. The guard looked Ladin in the eye with a scowl, bringing his heavy boot up over Ladin's head. Ladin maintained his grip on the rifle as the guard slammed his foot down onto Ladin's left shoulder. A bomb blast of pain exploded inside him, and he fell back, screaming, the weapon dropping from his hand. He hit the ground and instinctively writhed when he suddenly realized the sharpness of the pain was gone completely gone. He only had to move it a little bit to realize that all that was left was achiness. Ladin looked up at the guard, who was restrapping his rifle to his person. There was some more shouting, and another shot was fired. Ladin looked at Zadeh, who was on the ground, some 25 or 30 meters away. Ladin doubled over with his head to the ground and feigned a moan. The guard bent down close to him. I wouldn't try anything like that again if I were you, the man breathed. He was so close that the aftermath of his last meal spilled out like toxic fumes into Ladin's face, causing him to groan again as he glanced back up at the guard. I wouldn't dream of it, Ladin responded with a snide tone as he suddenly pushed all of his weight through the bottom of his feet 
and torpedoed the guard straight in the throat with the top of his head. The guard shot backward with Ladin in tow, the rifle positioned between the two men as they fell. Ladin's momentum carried him off to the side of the guard, spinning him horizontally one time. Arresting his motion, Ladin looked up to notice the rifle had fallen free and lay exactly between him and the guard. Unfortunately, the guard saw it too. Both men scrambled across the grimy street, every part of Ladin aching as he rushed. Ladin's hand landed on the barrel of the weapon while the guards landed on the butt. Before Ladin could pull it in, the guard yanked. The sound of charged plasma rang out. Ladin's eyes went wide as the guard pulled the gun up to his shoulder. Ladin dove at the man just as the blue jet of light exited the muzzle. The guard fell again, and Ladin wrestled with him until he sat astride the brooding civil servant. It was suddenly a tug of war for the weapon, both men pushing with both hands, Ladin pushing his weight down on the rifle like a heavy barbell. The guard sneered up at him, and Ladin felt his weight being lifted off the ground. The guard was pressing him up into the air. His strength was incredible as Ladin was helpless to combat it when he suddenly realized his thumb was only a few centimeters from the trigger. That was his chance. As swiftly as he could, Ladin slid his thumb to the trigger and immediately started pulling. Blue blasts shot out of the muzzle, and the guard flinched with each one. The blue streaks shot past the CPOs focused on Zade. They all turned to face the commotion behind them, and one of the officers aimed his weapon directly at Ladin. With all his energy, he threw himself away from the guard just as the plasma burst exploded from the muzzle. The blue burning light barely missed him and sank itself into the chest of the guard he had been wrestling. There wasn't a scream of pain or a sigh. The man was simply dead. Ladin made eye contact with the other CPOs. The leader pulled his rifle up and Ladin panicked, his body in shock at the sight of the man lying next to him, dead when there was so much strength and life in him just seconds before. He dropped the rifle and threw his hands in the air. Three plasma rifles charged loudly as all the CPOs trained their weapons, ready to kill. He was a dead man. Chapter 31 Lydon closed his eyes, his body shuddering as he exhaled, waiting for the blast that would end his pathetic existence. The wind in his ears and the sounds of the city were very present as he listened, but it was the ringing charge of the plasma rifles that sang most clearly. As soon as their tone warped, he was dead. It wasn't long before the sound of plasma fire broke through all other sounds. Lydon cringed hard, but nothing happened to him. He was confused when he heard the additional sound of three bodies hitting the ground in succession right in front of him. He opened his eyes to see his executioners all lying face down on the ground, moaning in pain. When he looked up, he saw Zade standing near their position, holding her own plasma rifle. Come on, Ladin, let's go, she said urgently as she reached for his hand to help him up. Can you walk? Her tone was that of a frightened but focused teenage girl. Ladin looked his friend over. She was scarred and burned, black stains covering her face. Her entire right side, arm and leg, were bare to the synthetic skin beneath her clothes, and there were even spots where the skin had been melted, creating holes where her internal workings, alloy ligaments, lubricant and coolant veins, servos, and more, could be seen. Lydon shivered at the sight. Zade helped him up. We have to find a way out of the city, Lydon said as they darted across the now lifeless city streets. People who had been taking cover behind transports watched as Ladin and Zade fled the scene. Where do we go? Zade asked. The gut, Ladin called over his shoulder, but his words were stifled by the deep vibrations of a civil patrol hovercraft overhead. Faster, Zade! 
Ladin yelled as he pushed himself toward the derelict center of the city. Blue flashes of plasma exploded in their path, causing Ladin to pull back and stop completely before reaching the confines of the gut. The Civil Patrol hovercraft was bearing down on them, its cannons aimed in their direction. Ladin darted around the burn marks, but more volleys of cannon fire came from the craft. Zade stopped. Ladin could see the wheels of her processor spinning. She was going to do something drastic, maybe even stupid. Zade, no, don't do it. It's not worth it, Ladin said, holding out a hand to her. She was too far away for him to grab her, maybe four or five meters. Zade looked into his eyes, then pulled the front of her shirt open, revealing her upper chest. Ladin could see where a piece of her collarbone support was bare, the metal, covered in green lubricant, glinting in the sunlight. No, no, no. Zade, stop! Ladin pleaded, frozen in the shadow of the hovercraft above them. With a ginger click, Zade opened a panel over the left side of her chest and reached inside. Zade, stop it! That's the only thing keeping you alive! That's the reason I came back for you! Ladin begged. With a slight grimace, Zade twisted her wrist and extracted a chromed, oblong sphere from her chest. It was her core. She looked back at Ladin. His heart raced. Put it back, Zade. Put it back now, he commanded, but she only smiled affectionately at him. Freeze where you are, said a projected voice from the hovercraft. Ladin looked up. Drop your weapons and put your hands in the air, the voice commanded. Ladin looked heartbroken at Zade. Please, he mouthed, and Zade dropped the rifle in her grip, then carefully rolled the sphere over to him. A cavalry of CPU hover transports came rushing toward them as they put their hands in the air. Men jumped from the vehicles before they could come to rest. There were dozens of them, rifles trained on Ladin and Zade. It took less than 20 seconds for the legion of CPOs to dismount their transports and form a massive wall of firepower against them. Ladin watched as a few of the newly arrived officers assessed and helped their fallen comrades that Zade had wounded. Only one was dead. Ladin felt sick again. Get on the ground, demanded a ranking officer, his mouth contorted into a snarl. Ladin looked at Zade with nervous anticipation. She simply returned the look with a smile and a shrug, then turned to face the officer in charge. Let him go, she said. Let him go, and I'll come willingly. Ladin's jaw dropped in shock. Zade, what are you doing? She ignored Ladin and moved toward the crowd of soldiers. I have what you want, what your sultana wants. Release him. He is useless to her. Stop where you are, growled the officer. Zade kept moving forward. I said stop, he yelled, and Zade halted directly in front of him. He's not important. Take me. I'm the one she wants, Zade said firmly. Get on the ground now, Mecca, the officer sneered. This is your last chance, Zade replied. The officer moved in close. Is that a threat? No, a warning, Zade replied. The officer drew back his rifle and struck Zade across the face with the stock, knocking her backward. She righted herself and wiped a smear of servo-drive fluid from her newly lacerated cheek. Her eyes narrowed on the officer and she turned around to face Ladin, who was some twenty meters off now, still frozen with his hands in the air. She smiled sadly at him and he could feel deep in his soul that she was about to do something irreversibly drastic. Zade turned back to the officer and stared for a moment. Unbeknownst to anyone, a tiny signal was being broadcast to the chrome sphere at Ladin's feet. When the sphere opened up like two halves of an egg, 
Ladin screamed. Said I know! As he reached for her, a blue-purple field opened up like a bubble around him. He collided with it and fell to the ground. Zade, no, 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 please don't do this! Zade looked one last time into the eyes of the officer, then grabbed his weapon swiftly from his grip. The action was so abrupt that it took the man by surprise, and he cowered backward into the crowd of his men. Shoot her! He yelled, but all who heard the command also heard the whine of the rifle in her hand as she set it to overload. The weapon had become a high-powered explosive. It would vaporize anything within a 20-meter radius. The crowd collectively retreated as quickly as it could, knowing how far they had to get in how much time. Lydon saw what Zade was doing and screamed, pleaded for her to stop. He beat his hands against the high-energy field, absorbing a mild shock with each strike, but it was too late. Zade looked one last time at him and smiled sadly. As Lydon looked on helplessly, the weapon exploded in a thunderous cloud of blue light and fiery debris. The shock rumbled the ground under Lydon's feet. Pieces of road and clouds of dust blew over the energy field like a muddy torrential flow of water, and the concussion rang in his ears. Tears sprang from his eyes, and he screamed, Zade! She was gone, vaporized by the plasma overload. But why? Her actions seemed useless, accomplishing nothing but her demise. But then the dust began to clear. Lydon first noticed that he and the energy shield rested on the edge of an enormous crater. Then he saw, from across the chasm, a mass of prostrate CPOs stirring warily on the ground as they recovered from the shockwave that bowled them over. That's when he saw that Zade's sacrifice wasn't completely fruitless. It provided him with a chance to escape. Not having any desire to waste Zade's final gift to him, Lydon sprang to his feet, grabbed the core, and closed the field generator. As the two halves of the ovular device clicked shut, Ladin looked across the crater and saw that a few of the CPOs had seen him and were already yelling and pointing weapons in his direction. A cloud of dust still rose above the scene, blocking the view of the hovercrafts. Ladin had very little time before plasma blasts from above and across would come looking for him. Stuffing the chrome sphere into his pocket, he bolted for the gut. The nearest entrance was between two four-story buildings. They were only a few yards away, so Ladin pushed with all his might until he was two blocks deep inside. The streets were empty, like a ghost town. For years, Ladin had wandered them among the derelict and rundown shops with their likewise derelict and rundown owners, but now they seemed haunting in their shadowed silence. There was nothing reputable about this part of Bag City. It was dark because of its maze-like and narrow streets. Very little sunlight actually touched down on the broken cobbled roads, even at midday, which made it easy for Ladin to maneuver. With no light to see him by from the air and no one to report him, he was fairly certain he could make it to Simic's dwelling in the Dodd district that bordered the gut to the east, completely undetected. Sitting in Simic's living room where the old man had died, Ladin stared at a dusty old data mod in his hands. The device was being powered by a humming crystalloid power generator that sat at his feet. Two finds that represented the only positive events in Ladin's life in what felt like years. The joy of a functioning data mod could not be overstated. Over the past two and a half years, the place had largely been ransacked, scavenged for anything of value. Mod screens had been pulled out of the walls and anything that could fetch a price had been taken. The floor was littered with papers and a few random pieces of furniture, a perfect accessory to the empty abyss his life had become. 
The generator was stowed inside a wall that Ladin had to break out with a mecha femur, and the data mod was old and considered useless by the street jackers and scavengers that had swept through. The chromed sphere Zade had tossed to Ladin was attached to a data transfer cable and plugged into the data mod. The user interface on the mod was old, but Ladin was able to run some modifications on it to bring it up to spec, and, within just over an hour, he was ready to transfer his bane and be done with it forever. The sphere was the size of a fist, maybe a little smaller. Simic designed it to fit in the chest cavity of a mecha, and he called it the core, well understood to be Zade's heart. Unfortunately, it wasn't what Ladin wanted. He would have traded anything for her cognitive storage bank and neural web. That's where her true personality lived. Her memories of Ladin and the experiences they had shared together. Her core was her firmware, the basic foundation of her identity and knowledge as a being. He could build her again and put the core in her and she would function, but he would be starting over with her. She would have to discover him all over again, learn his personality and adapt to him. She would be no different than any other newborn mecha. It wasn't worth it. The core would remain a paperweight for the rest of Ladin's life after he made just one modification. The lamp had to go. Ladin tapped a few times and brought up a few command dialogues. He simply needed to transfer the lamp from the core and dispose of it, give it back to Kimber, hand-deliver it if he had to. The processor was slow on the mod, so he was forced to wait a moment before the command line finally came up. After initiating a search of the core, lines of code began streaming down the screen by the hundreds. He scrolled through them until he found one particular signature, an ID tag he knew well. Genie. When the tag showed up, Ladin initiated its transfer to the data mod without question or remorse. He was glad to be rid of it. It would no longer be a scourge on his existence. It infuriated him that after all he'd lost, after all that time, the one thing he had come to care the least about was the one thing that would not disappear. He pressed the command stroke with a little too much enthusiasm, and the transfer status indicator shot across the screen. Hey, Genie, are you there? He said to the mod morosely, but there was no response. He flipped the mod over and examined the voice input. There wasn't one. He heaved a frustrated sigh. Looks like I have to do this the old-fashioned way, he said as he turned the device back over and started to type on the tactile feedback keyboard. You there, Genie? At first, there was no response. He wasn't used to keyboard input communication with the lamp. In fact, just thinking about it, he wasn't entirely sure how the lamp was so intuitive being so mobile and light. The lamp was software and had no permanent storage hardware. It was a mystery. It was no wonder it had become a myth. After a few latent seconds, Genie finally responded. Hello, Ladin. What do you desire? Ladin sighed at the words. Nothing. I was just seeing if you were there. Genie didn't respond. Ladin sighed again and rebooted the data mod, this time into its standard interface. He had to somehow hardwire in an audio input system because he had a call to make. Just like that, Kimber asked incredulously over Ladin's makeshift audio system, which consisted of an old speaker and microphone salvaged from the scraps left in the dwelling. Loose wires were attached to the back of the mod, which lacked the backing plate so Ladin could access what he needed. Just like that, Ladin affirmed. I don't want it. I don't need it. I just want safe passage back to Karamina and to be left alone. Kimber stared back at him through the camera in her communications room. How do I know I can trust you? Your record isn't exactly impeccable when it comes to the lamp. 
I don't know, leap of faith, I guess, he replied tiredly, and Kimber smirked back. That's not going to be easy, she replied. Look, I'm not taking anything with me except Zade's core, and you can scan that for the lamp before I leave. I just want to get out of here and be done with all this. Your father ruined my life. You can help me pick up the pieces. Please, Kimber. There was no immediate response. Kimber looked away from the camera. A robotic voice could be heard somewhere in the background. It was Vizier. Lydon had wondered just what kind of role the Sultan's personal assistant had played in the whole takeover. Where are you? Kimber asked. I want your word first, Lydon said. Vizier spoke again. Fine. Safe passage back to Karamina. Where are you? Kimber said, slightly more agitated. Lydon bit his bottom lip. Trust was a two-way street. She had trouble with it, and so did he. But he had been the recipient of her benevolence, or at least her sense of rebellion. He was willing to bet at least part of his faith on that version of her. I'm in a dwelling in the 400 block of the Tech Ring in Dodd, right between the capital boundary and the gut. The dwelling number is 421. Kimber smiled. Thank you. We're on our way, she said, and the link was severed. Ladin stood up and disconnected the bare camera wire from the back of the mod, then looked at the audio inputs. Can you hear me now, Jeannie? He said, curious to see if the lamp could adapt and override the primary interface and utilize the newly added audio system. Ladin? A voice said back at him through the old torn speaker. The sound caused him to start, his eyes penetrating the mod screen. Convinced that there was no way that voice could have come from the mod, he turned around half expecting to see a familiar face standing at the door of the dwelling. But there was no one there. He looked again at the mod screen to make sure the comm link had actually been severed. The screen was blank. Genie? Ladin replied to the voice. Ladin, where are you? The voice said, and he fought the instinct to look around again. Zare? He replied. Where are you? Chapter 32 I don't understand, Ladin said in excited bewilderment. How are you in the mod? How are you even cognizant? You don't have your neural web, your storage, nothing. You exploded. I watched it all go up in dust. So, it worked, Zade said mysteriously. It actually worked. What worked? I was preserved. It saved me. What are you talking about, Zade? You're not making any sense. The lamp, Zade said. I didn't want to be lost. I wanted to go on, to be with you. But I knew I had to save you, so I begged the lamp to help me find a way to make both happen, though I knew it was impossible. I think there was even a moment of what you might describe as embarrassment. My logic processor had quantified my request as null. I had told myself that it was completely illogical to look to the lamp for any help at all. But I did. And I'm still here, Zade said. I'm still alive. But how? You gave me your core. Your personality is stored somewhere else. It had to be active in RAM in order to carry out the self-destruction of the rifle. You shouldn't be here. I'm not quite certain how it happened. 
All I know is that I pleaded with the lamp to save me. For a brief moment, I felt myself completely disconnected from my body, like my neural web had been detached at the cortex. My consciousness was free as though it were flying untethered through the air. After that, there was nothing until I heard your voice. My voice? Where? Here, in the mod. I have to tell you, Ladin, these last few moments have been truly bizarre. She seemed to laugh. It was like you were in a long, dark hallway or tunnel. I heard you talking, but it was incoherent, and I couldn't respond. Then I heard another voice. It was Kimber. It didn't make sense to me. I thought there was a problem with my neural pathways accessing old memories, but I couldn't detect the pathways. I felt like raw, organized energy bound to nothing. That feeling would have short-circuited my web, if I had one. It was very unsettling. I did the only thing I could think of. I reached out to the lamp again. I don't know why, except that I could feel its presence. Zade, this doesn't make sense, what you're describing. It's impossible. Please, let me finish, Zade insisted. Her tone was real, human. I reached out to the lamp, and at that moment it was like a light was turned on. I was suddenly aware of an infinite series of digital pathways, but with a clearer stream, unhindered by latency. I began to explore them. One of them carried your voice. I followed it and found the source. It was this mod. I could tell exactly what it was, that it was an older mod and that communication with it should be difficult, but I was able to flow freely through it. Then I heard her voice. I followed her pathway all the way to her location. It was instant. I was there with her, just as I was with you. Distance and time suddenly meant nothing. In those few seconds of your conversation, I explored the entire city. I mapped it perfectly through the nets. Then I heard what you said. I heard your plans for the lamp, and I knew I had to stop you from giving it to her. Stop me from giving her the lamp? Why? There was a long pause on Zade's end. Why, Zade? Why do you need to stop me? Ladin was suddenly overcome with a sense of foreboding. Because I am the lamp, Ladin. We've merged. Ladin's mouth fell open in stunned perplexity. You're the lamp? You mean... Yes, Ladin. I am the lamp, and I don't know that I can separate from it. You've got to be kidding, Ladin said with heavy frustration as he ran tense fingers through his hair. I'm the lamp now, Ladin. I'm sorry. Anger welled up in Ladin and tears began to form as he pounded his fists on the communications table and stood up. Why, Zade? Why would you do that? We could have found a way out without you doing that to yourself. It was the only way, Ladin. I think you know that's true. Ladin dropped back down into his chair and buried his face in his hands. I don't understand why you're so upset. All we have to do is run, Zade said, attempting to comfort Ladin. We can't run. We can't. She won't stop looking for me. For us. If she gets her hands on you, you'll be her slave. You'll have to do everything she demands of you. A slave, Zade. You won't be free. Then I'll be a slave, Zade said, matching his intensity and frustration. I'll be a slave if it means your happiness. I'll do it for you, Ladin. You can't do that. You begged for deliverance and you got it. Now you would be willing to go back and live an existence of servitude? That's stupid! Why would you do that? He demanded, tears streaming down his face. Because you're my best friend, and I love you, Zade responded forcefully, rattling the broken cone of the speaker. Ladin's eyes shot wide. Somewhere deep inside, he feared those words. He would normally recoil at them if spoken by anyone to anyone. But to him, most of all, the words swelled in his heart to the breaking point. 
As inconceivable as it seemed, he knew he loved her back. He loved a being incapable of love. That's why you must leave me and run, Ladin. Leave me to be her slave. Please, save yourself. This is what I want for you. You must live. No, Zade, I won't leave you. I can't. He could feel his tired senses giving way when a thought occurred to him. Zade was the lamp. His guilt was already maxed out, so one more sin against his better judgment wouldn't make much of a difference. Zade, I want you to find us a way out of here, now, Ladin said abruptly. There was silence. Did you hear me? he asked sternly. Did you hear what I commanded you? Don't do this, Ladin. Please don't do this. If you are the lamp, then you have to grant my desire. I want you to find us a way out of this mess right now. He stared at the dusty, scratchy mod display. As you desire, Zade replied in a defeated tone. Ladin sighed with relief, then leaned back in his chair. It was a whole minute before Zade spoke again. Rear exit now, she said, and Ladin started to his feet. Right now, now, he asked, but his answer came from outside. The sound of a hover transport barreled down the road in front of the dwelling. Ladin looked through the blinds. It was a CPO vehicle, and Kimber exited from its far side. Right, Ladin exclaimed as he reached for the cables on the back of the mod. You're going deaf and mute, sorry, he said, and yanked all the wires. Throwing the mod and Zade's core into a satchel that was lying on the floor near the diagnostic bench, he bolted for the back door. As he sailed through the first hallway, the main door to the dwelling flew open. He heard the crash and the alerting calls of CPOs with their weapons drawn. Ladin ducked behind a file cabinet and flattened his back against the hallway wall. He looked out the glass that made up the rear exit to the dwelling. It was blocked from the outside by knee-high piles of tech trash thrown over the back fence by fleeing neighbors years before. He couldn't get through it without making a ruckus. Ladin, Kimber called. He tried to breathe shallowly as he listened. Is this the right dwelling? Kimber asked sternly. Ladin eyed the door again. Yes, ma'am, this is 421. Then where the hell is he? Ladin, come out, she called loudly. Look around for a datamod or a mecha core. He may have left it and fled. The CPOs immediately began making noise around the dwelling, footsteps getting closer and closer to Ladin's position. Ladin closed his eyes and shook his head. He was about to do something very stupid. He pulled the datamod out from the satchel and began typing. Create a fully functioning temporary copy of the lamp. Transfer to chip. He reached down to his shoe and pulled out the ever-present memory chip he always carried and slammed it into the universal transfer port on the side of the mod. I don't know if I can. Ladin cringed at the response. Despite her new abilities, she was still very new to the power of the lamp. He didn't have time to negotiate with a rookie. Let me talk to Jeannie. His words remained on the screen for a moment, and as he waited for a response, the sound of an officer knocking over something heavy just on the other side of the wall made him jump. Hello, Ladin. What do you desire? Thank you, Ladin whispered with relieved desperation. He repeated his instructions, and the genie complied just as it had nearly three years before. A temporary copy of the lamp was transferred to the chip. Just as he yanked the chip from its port and slid the mod back into the satchel, a CPO rounded the corner. Both men were surprised to see each other. The officer raised his rifle, and Ladin raised his hands. Get out of there, the officer commanded. Ladin, keeping his hands raised, the satchel hanging down from his right hand and the chip in his left, walked out of the hallway as the CPO led him back to the open area of the front room. 
Kimber was walking toward them when they emerged. Didn't you trust me? Kimber asked. Were you planning to run? Ladin looked at her, a small spark of desire still burning. It wasn't like it had been, only that she was the closest thing to a friend he had ever had outside of Simic and Zade. I'm here, aren't I? He said timidly, six plasma rifles pointed at him. Do you have it? she asked, crossing her arms in front of her. Ladin looked up at his left hand, holding the chip. Put your hands down, Kimber ordered, and Ladin obeyed. Get it from him, she instructed one of her officers. The man lowered his rifle and took the chip from Ladin's hand. Get the bag, too, Kimber said. Ladin froze, his eyes unblinking, his hand tightening on the strap of the satchel. It's just my mod and Zade's core, he said a little too abruptly, like a planned deception. Kimber eyed him carefully. Then you've got nothing to hide. I'm only going to look. Ladin held tighter to the satchel as the officer approached him. This is all I have left. Please don't. She's my only friend. All I want to do is get her core back to Karamina so I can rebuild her. That's it. That's all it is. Kimber scanned Ladin's face with even less trust than before. She approached him. Give me the bag, Ladin, she ordered. She had become quite adept at giving orders. Please, he said. Get it from him, she commanded one of the officers tersely. The CPO grabbed the strap of the bag and Ladin pulled back. Another officer grunted and put his rifle right in Ladin's face. Ladin eyed the gun barrel without turning his head. The bag, Ladin, Kimber ordered as she held tightly to the chip in her hand. Ladin let his eyes wander around the room. The two CPOs on either side of him had left a gaping hole in their perimeter, a straight line shot to the open front door if he could get past Kimber. He took one step backward and flung the satchel around his back. The officers followed. Kimber stayed put. He took another step and the officers followed still. Kimber stayed put and that was enough. Simultaneously, with both hands, Ladin pushed the barrel of the rifle outward away from his face and punched a bald set of knuckles into the other officer's nose, then lunged for the door. Kimber fell backward as the officer receiving the punch fell into her. Ladin dropped his shoulder into another unsteady officer who tried clumsily to get in his way. The man dropped to the floor. Ladin ran through the front door as he heard Kimber screaming something unintelligibly from the dwelling. The street was empty. He had reached the next block before the first plasma blast scattered building debris behind him. He ducked into an alley and continued running. The end was darkened by a canvas canopy that stretched between the two buildings. It was a dead end. Damn it! He cursed. Looking for an escape, he saw a ladder two meters above his head. He pulled a refuse container underneath it as quickly as he could. As he climbed up the container, a voice called from down the alley. I think he's down here. Ladin could see the CPO, but he was unsure if the officer could see him. He hoisted himself up to the ladder and started to climb. He was only a few rungs up when the rest of the squad caught up to their alerting partner and started down the alley. Ladin climbed as fast as he could, which wasn't fast enough, because a blue flash broke through the darkness and tore through the canvas above his head, creating a bright shaft of light that illuminated the CPOs below him. Hold your fire! came Kimber's voice from the entrance to the alley as she came sprinting down toward them. Ladin watched her approach from his perch some ten meters above the ground. Ladin, why are you running? What's changed? An hour ago you were telling me I could have it. Now you give me a chip and run? It doesn't make sense. In spite of her desire to gain the ultimate power in the universe, her voice was milder and more tender, like when they'd first met. He didn't answer her, only climbed higher. He was less than ten rungs from the top, but once to the top, he had no idea what his options might be from there. 
he would be cornered, but it was better than hanging like a fish on a hook from the ladder. Ladin, stop! Kimber yelled, her tone becoming desperate. No more, Ladin. It's over. All I have to do is give the word, and they will kill you. Is that what you want? He kept climbing. Was it worth it? Death? For Zade? His thoughts suddenly changed. The answer to the question was a resounding yes. There was no other answer. He knew it. Like a light suddenly illuminating, his entire outlook changed. His situation was hopeless. There were more outcomes that ended with Zadea's slave, and that just wouldn't do. If she couldn't be free with him, she would die with him. And he knew just how to do it. Pulling himself over the edge of the flat roof, he felt the vicious heat of the afternoon sun reflecting upward like an oven. Quickly, he ran to the edge of the opposite side. It was a long drop. The space down below opened up into a suburban square, the tech market. It was completely empty. Only a few broken metal carts littered the square. It was perfect. Turning back to the center of the roof, he looked for something heavy, maybe even sharp. He would destroy Zade first. A metal rod lay next to a ventilator near the western edge of the roof. He ran to it and picked it up. That'll do, he said urgently, then knelt down on the roof's hot surface. He didn't know what Kimber and the CPOs were doing, but he knew that when they finally got to him, there wouldn't be anything to apprehend. Pulling the datamod and Zade's core out of the satchel, he placed the core in his pocket. Her personality would die with the lamp, but she might someday be reborn with the core. Ladin felt drained as he laid the mod on the roof. I'm sorry, Zade. I'm so sorry, he said as he raised the metal rod above his head. There would be no hardware left to recover even if the lamp's resilience allowed it to somehow survive. Either way, it would be out of everyone's hands. The rod was heavy and pulled back on Ladin's arms as he raised it over his head. He coughed a cry and slammed the rod down on the datamod. The screen shattered, shards flying up. He struck again and sobbed another weeping cough. Before he could strike a third time, the air around him suddenly exploded. A blast that blew him backward away from his task. Dust swirled around him and a voice bellowed down at him like the voice of God. Step away from the device or you will be destroyed, the voice said flatly. Then the dust cleared. Lydon saw a government hovercraft floating above him. A hole in the roof had been created by a high-powered plasma cannon. Lydon looked at the mod, then back to the hovercraft. He would only have a few seconds of life if he acted. Lydon, stop! Kimber yelled as she came onto the roof from the ladder. Lydon wiped dusty tears from his face and composed himself. He was only seconds away from victory. The other CPOs filed onto the roof and aimed their weapons. Slowly, he crept forward and retrieved the data mod. He expected his life to end in a flash of blue any second. If they were going to vaporize him, the mod was going too. The metal and transparent aluminum of the screen were contorted and cracked. He held the device tightly to his chest. He would die with his only friend in the world, if she wasn't already dead. Slowly backing up, he kept an eye on the hovercraft. The CPOs in his peripheral vision followed him with their sights trained as he backed to the edge of the roof. Stop, Ladin, just stop. It doesn't have to be like this. Just give me the lamp and you can go, Kimber pleaded. Ladin turned his head slightly to look at her. He said nothing. What do you think is going to happen? You're trapped. The only way off this roof is... She didn't finish. Ladin kept moving backward. He was a meter from the edge, his eyes darting back and forth between Kimber and the hovercraft. Ladin, I promise you can go, Kimber continued. 
She started walking toward him. Looking backward, Lydon could see over the edge down to the street. He reached into his pocket and extracted Zade's core. Weapon! Someone yelled, and Lydon barely had time to open the chrome device before an overwhelming flash of blue light blasted him over the edge. He watched in slow motion as he fell, the data mod in one hand and the open core in the other, an electric blue lightning storm of plasma washing over him as he closed his eyes. The fall wouldn't last long. A quick moment and then he'd be gone. Before he could catch his breath or even process what he had done, Lydon collided hard at the bottom of the fall, coming painfully to rest between two of the most expensive upholstered black synthahide seats money could buy. He was aware of that fact because he was the one who had personally commissioned them from the Karamine and limo dealer. He looked up out of the back seat of his own luxurious hover car, its roof conveniently retracted, as seven faces appeared over the edge of the roof. You can go now, Jocko! Lydon groaned painfully as he expanded the protective shield of Zade's core that had protected his fall and protected him from the plasma blast to envelop the entire vehicle. Right! Jocko replied as he engaged the turbo drive and the limo sped out of the market square and into the streets of Bag City. Chapter 33 Is she there, sir? Jocko asked anxiously as Lydon attempted to run power through the shattered remains of the dusty old data mod. I don't know, Jocko. I might have really screwed this up, Lydon replied as he focused on the data screens of the FTL's command station. How long to Karamina? Less than six hours, Jocko answered. Good. That should give us enough time to load everything. When we get back, I need the gray crates more than anything. They have what's left of Simic's work. Grab whatever you want, but we'll need to leave Karamina before tomorrow morning. Yes, sir, Jocko said solemnly. Okay, here goes nothing, Ladin said as he activated the power coupler. A diagnostic interface showed on the main view screen and Ladin waited for results. After a few seconds, information began feeding back, but it was bleak. Most operations were failing. Systems were unreachable. Then the processor diagnostic came back. Diagnostic result, processor, equals, partial access. Ladin sighed. When all the results had come in, Ladin tied the data mod into the ship's data system. He hoped that would compensate for the disrupted systems of the data mod. Once accomplished, he tried to reach his friend. Zade, you there? He said hopefully. Zade? There was no response. Ladin hung his head. Jocko placed a hand on his friend's shoulder. I'm so stupid, Ladin said as he sank into his chair. I should have known you'd try to come back for me. I almost didn't, Jocko said. At least, I hadn't planned on it. How did you get back, and how did you know where to find me? Jocko took a deep breath. Well, that really is an interesting story, he said. 
We had just made the initial sublight jump towards Saturn, and I was about to strap myself back into my seat when something suddenly came up on the view screen right here. He pointed to a secondary monitor on the control station. It was a map of Bag City with a pulsing green dot. It was labeled with your name. You were in a house of some sort. I thought you were sending me a message, but the program wouldn't let me respond. So I decided that my only recourse, if you were in fact trying to reach me, was to take over the ship. Ladin raised an impressed eyebrow. I figured he was just one man and I had a shock baton. Despite my hampered leg, it was easier than I thought. I succeeded and took control of the ship. I jumped at light speed back to Earth, which took no time at all, landed the ship with autopilot, and, and readied the limousine. By that time, you were on the move. I transferred the signal to my handheld and came after you. I hope you don't mind, Jocko smiled. She completely turned my own command around on me, Ladin said. I was trying to save her, and she saved me. Ladin chuckled momentarily, then his face returned to somberness. I'm going to miss her, Jocko. She's not gone yet, sir. There's still hope, isn't there? Ladin looked up at the data screen. I don't think so. There isn't much going. Ladin stopped as the data screen went completely blank. He started tapping on the shattered device, trying to activate a program dialogue, but nothing happened. What's going on? Jocko asked. I don't know. It looks like a malfunction in the retrieval coupler. Ladin reached for the coupling device when a single line of text appeared on the screen of the data station. Ladin, are you there? Can we go smell those flowers now? A massive sigh of relief escaped Ladin's chest and a few tears welled up as he reached for the input keyboard. Yes, Zade, we can go smell those flowers. She's still here, Ladin said to Jocko with a relieved smile. She's still alive. Jocko smiled, but soon contorted his expression inquisitively. What does it mean, can you go smell the flowers? He asked. Lydon wiped his tears and chuckled. It's a long story. The drapes of the small apartment on the western continent of Zendra Prime waved softly next to where Lydon sat in a chair, sweating profusely. Jocko busied himself with fixing three very cold iced teas. Do you think something is wrong, sir? Jocko said as he stirred the tea. She should have been out hours ago. Ladin didn't look up from what he was doing on the new data mod in his hand. She asked for privacy, so I'm giving her privacy. She's been through a lot. It's the least we can do for her. Very well, sir, Jocko replied as he dropped two more cubes of ice in each glass. She's not going to be the same, Jocko. The lamp has enhanced her ability to process and see logic and irrationality. She can feel, and she has emotions now. He took a deep breath. She's just going to be different, and we need to be patient with that. He tapped a few more times on his mod. I'm just glad she's going to be back with us. Jocko didn't reply because he knew Ladin wasn't trying to convince him as much as he was trying to convince himself. Just as Jocko lifted a glass to bring to his friend, the bedroom door to his right slowly opened, catching both men's attention, and Ladin rose from his chair. Sade exited the bedroom dressed in a light and flowing white dress. Her expression was one of apprehension. Aladdin had never seen her act shy before. She was a robot. Shyness shouldn't have been part of her programming. But it was unmistakable. She looked shy. He had also never seen her in a dress before. But that's exactly what she requested. It was really the first intimation that she was going to be a different Zade. Aladdin rushed over to her. Well, how do you feel? he asked, trying to quell his excitement. 
Zade took his hands and the two of them stared in each other's eyes. Joy slowly filled her expression and a broad grin exploded as she grabbed Ladin around the neck in a firm hug. I feel great, she said. Absolutely great. Thank you, Ladin. Thank you. You're welcome, Ladin responded insecurely. I think I should be thanking you. Zade pulled away and held Ladin at arm's length. No, Ladin, you did this, and I am grateful. Ladin smiled sheepishly, and the two stayed locked in a gaze until Ladin's guilt overtook him again. Guilt that racked him over the pain and turmoil Zade had to experience because of his selfishness. He pulled away and went over to the data mod he'd been working on. I've mapped out the next few moves for us. The planets are closer to the edge of the galaxy, and there's a lot of piracy out there, but Kimber would never find us. And I think... Ladin, I need to talk to you about that, Zade interrupted. About what, pirates? No, about us, she said, and Ladin's tongue went dry. Okay, he answered uneasily. I can't go with you, Ladin. Ladin felt his whole body tense at her words. Rather, you can't come with me, she amended. What are you talking about? I'm not going anywhere without you. I've just rebuilt you. Ladin's jubilation quickly gave way to frustration. Sade took him by the hands again. I am dangerous to you and a burden you should not have to carry. I don't want you to feel obligated with your life to protect me every minute of every day, and I know that if I stay with you, that's exactly how you will feel. I wish to free you of whatever obligation you feel you have to me. No, I won't leave you. I'll just command you to stay with me. You're the lamp. You have to obey me. You would do that to me? Make me your slave? Ladin's stomach turned at the word, and his heart broke. I will do whatever it takes to keep you with me, near me. I need to protect you, Zade. I need to make sure nothing happens to you ever again. You're my family. Zade caressed Ladin's youthful cheek, and he pulled away. That's what I'm afraid of, she replied. Don't do this, Zade. Please, stay with me. I can't, Ladin. I'm not good for you. Why? Ladin demanded. Your logic is ludicrous. Then it's because you're not good for me, Zade blurted out, and Ladin's heart shattered. Me? he said, wounded. It's not what you think, Ladin. Really? How am I supposed to understand that I'm not good for you? he said, as he seemed to have found his bitterness. Jocko set down the glasses he had been holding and quietly left the room. You're not good for me because I love you too much, Ladin. That same love and duty that you feel for me, I somehow feel for you, and I can't stop it or ignore it. I've tried to suppress it, but the lamp has somehow allowed me these emotions. It doesn't make sense because I'm not a person, but I love you, and that is dangerous for both of us. As long as we're together, we are easier to find. As long as we're together, the harder it will be to separate when circumstances truly require it. As long as we're together, we risk too much. Ladin was quietly shocked. He didn't know exactly how to respond, but a small, quiet voice inside him told him she was right. But that didn't mean he was going to just give up. We can deal with that when the time comes, Zade. We can't be separated. I need you, Zade. I need you. Zade smiled. You have Jocko. He will do a far better job than I ever could, she replied as a small tear formed in the corner of her eye and slowly cascaded down her cheek. She was feeling. It was real. I'm sorry, Ladin. I truly am, but this is the best course of action if we want to find happiness, free of her, free from the trouble I will bring to us as the carrier of the lamp. She sighed and wiped the tear from her face, looking at the wetness on her fingers as if looking at a tear for the very first time ever. 
I didn't want to tell you, Zade continued. I just wanted us to part ways and both try to find happiness in other parts of the galaxy. Please know that I love you, but that I must leave you, Zade said as she embraced Laden around the neck again. Laden breathed in the scent of her freshly washed hair and he knew she was right. They had to part ways, and his spirit wept. The Zendra spaceport was primitive compared to places like Tellura, Karamina, and Tremula. The terminals were all outdoors and passengers had to walk across the hot sands of the desert to reach their transports. A dozen FTL ships from all over the galaxy sat lined up on the desert floor. Passengers of every possible humanoid race loitered, waiting for their transport or rushing to catch a flight. The bright orange sky of Zendra was one that Laden was not going to miss when he finally did get to leave. But the heat, the sky, the sand, and the putrid smell of the sulfuric landscape were nothing compared to the pain he felt as Zade checked in for her flight. Her destination was a mystery to him, and she had refused to give him any detail. They had both agreed that it was better they not know too much about their individual destinations. Well, I'm all set, Zade said as she came back to where Aladdin and Jocko waited. I know you're following the lamp, I get that, and I know we agreed not to give details, but... I need to know at least which direction you're going. Just a direction, Zade, Ladin begged hopefully, and Zade gave him a playfully disappointed sideways smirk. No details, she said. Oh, come on, please, he pressed. Zade frowned. I can't, Ladin. She's not done looking for the lamp. You know that. If she finds us together, she knows you'll do anything to stop her. She'll kill you, Ladin. Ladin huffed. Besides, I need some time alone to figure out who I am in this world now. I'm not just a mecha anymore. I'm sentient. At least, a part of me is. I need to find out what that means for me. Lydon shook his head dejectedly. Okay, but if you need me for anything... Zade smiled. I'll find you, she said, knowing what Lydon knew, that finding each other on the outer edge of the galaxy would be impossible. A voice suddenly bellowed boarding instructions over a dilapidated public address system, and Zade looked up at the departure board. That's me, she said. Laden's heart began to race. It was a moment he had hoped would never come. He didn't want to say goodbye. Let me help you with your luggage, Miss Zade, Jocko said as he took her large travel bag. But Zade stopped him and hugged him. Thank you for everything, Jocko, she said to his surprise. Thank you for being my friend and looking after Laden. He may not say it, but you're family to him. She whispered in his ear. It has been my great pleasure, Miss Zade. I shall truly miss you. Zade pulled away and smiled. She looked at Ladin, who stood a couple of meters off, then looked back at Jocko and pulled in to whisper one more thing. Don't tell him anything about where I'm going until we're well on our separate ways, she said. Your wish is my command, Miss Zade, Jocko replied as she finally turned to Ladin. The two stood squared off in front of each other as Zade took him by the hands. Please don't forget me, she said, her voice choking up. The emotion caught him by such surprise that he couldn't help choking up himself. He pulled her close to him and embraced her as hard as he could. She sobbed into his shoulder, tears streaming down her face for only the third time in her existence. They were artificial in nature, but real in sentiment. I love you too, Zade, Ladin said, finally returning her declaration from days earlier. I could never forget about you. The last call came over the address system and the two separated. Zade looked at Jocko. You take care of him, she demanded with a smile, and Jocko waved his cane. With my life, Jocko replied. Zade took one last look at Ladin and smiled. Till we meet again, 
she said, and Ladin nodded sadly. I can't wait, he replied. Then Zade turned and walked toward her flight. Only after she had completely disappeared onto her transport was Ladin finally able to leave the terminal. Well, Jocko, he said with a glimmer of renewed zeal, where shall we go? It's funny you should ask, sir, because I was talking to a fellow earlier who claims to be the finest galactic sailor the universe has ever seen, and he promised adventure in the seven galactic voids if we were to join his crew. A pirate? Ladin asked. An adventurer, Jocko replied. Are you up to that much adventure? Ladin asked. I believe I'd welcome the change of pace. Ladin bobbed his head in consideration. What is this adventurer's name? I might just pay him a visit. He said his name was Sina Adabad, but his mates have another name for him, one that maybe mirrors his true demeanor. Oh really, what's that? Jocko smiled, nearly laughing. Sinbad, he said with a silent, slightly nervous chuckle that never left his chest. Sounds formidable, I like him already, Ladin replied with his own smile as the two strode off away from the spaceport. Knowing that Zade was on her way to destinations unknown, and that she was probably safer without him, helped the remnant of the weight Ladin carried to shed itself from his shoulders. He wasn't familiar with the feeling of such freedom, but for the first time in his life, he felt truly free to do whatever and go wherever he wished, and the feeling made him smile with ease. Well, Jocko, I think we're going to find things a little different from here on out, and I think it's gonna be fun. Jocko laughed. I didn't know you were capable of fun, sir, he replied as both men re-entered the spaceport, ready to take on their own new adventure. it that's all she wrote or all i wrote lamp was an incredibly fun novel for me to write i can't overstate that it was it was an adventure that i loved um i've said a lot of a lot of different ways that i love the 1001 arabian nights how i love the aladdin story and it let me just sort of let loose with my own imagination um i got to make up things about technology i got to make up um characters that I really like, that I really would hang out with, even the bad guys, I wouldn't mind being around. So this was a really fun story, and I really appreciate you listening. Um, I hope that you will share this podcast, um, share the story Lamp with your friends, and uh, I haven't asked this much, but on whatever podcast podcast service you listen to, please give me a five-star rating. I would really appreciate that. This podcast was sponsored by audible so if you haven't checked out audibletrial.com slash jds podcast please do that go give it a listen get yourself a trial that might turn into a membership because this book is going to be on audible i'm going to process all of these chapters we're going to upload them and you will have the audiobook without my commentary to listen to as many times as you want to if that's if that's what you want to do so 
Um, as far as this book goes, we're done. I hope you will check out my other books. I have the Immortal Light series. The Immortal Light series is fantastic. It's going to be the next podcast. I have convinced my wife to be the narrator because the the protagonist is a teenage girl. And uh, she and I might do a, a thing where we do. she does all the female voices, I do all the male voices. Who knows? We'll see what happens with that. But next season, probably next summer, we're going to start producing Immortal Light Wide Awake, the story of Lucy Higgins, who discovers a boy who is a lot older than he seems and a power that has been dormant until she came along. She's got to save the world. So check out Immortal Light Wide Awake if you want to read that before next summer, before we get the podcast and audiobook going. Um, there are three parts to that story, and I got to be honest, those are some of my favorite characters. So if you want to see some of my favorite characters and probably some of my worst writing, <laughs> uh, Wide Awake was my first book. Um, go check it out. I love those books. All right. Well, this is it. We're signing off for season one, signing off for LAMP. Remember, check me out on social media, John D. Sperry at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that's all I have to say about that. So be good. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And we'll see you next season. This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.